fellow griever. You have found the Leftover Pieces Suicide Loss Conversations podcast, and I am Alyssa, your host. I am with you on this journey because my 21-year-old son, Alex, died by suicide on August 7th of 2016. Since launching this podcast in late 2020, I have followed my heart and expanded the leftover pieces to include books and an online community where I host Zoom support groups every week. It is there in this community that I lead other parents who have lost a child by suicide from survival toward hope and into healing. The website is also a resource hub, a connecting point for all survivors of suicide loss. You can find me, ways to connect with me, and links to everything that I'm doing in the community on my website, theleftoverpieces.com. Know that I'm always open to suggestions and feedback. And if you know someone that I should connect with to be on the podcast, please let me know that as well. So now I invite you to join me for real conversations, handed talk on hard topics surrounding the loss of our loved ones by suicide. I talk to other lost survivors, mental health experts, advocates, and on alternate weeks, I offer shorter solo episodes where I go down the rabbit hole to discuss things that have been on my mind or possibly parts of my journey that I feel would be beneficial to share. Every week, we explore the questions that haunt us, seek the courage to uncover the healing tools within us, and offer the comfort of a community that we all need so very much. It's true that our hearts and lives have been shattered, but come along with me and together Let's choose to find meaning and even happiness amid the leftover pieces before us. Welcome. So welcome, and today is episode 23 of season 4, and today is a special episode and it's in the style of a round table. I have brought together eight very brave, amazing moms. These moms are from my all access membership community. They are not all of the moms in this community, but eight very brave ones that were able to be um, present for today's discussion. Today, you're going to hear from Vicki, Betty, Sarita, Barbara, Marcy, Carrie Lynn, Crystal, and Rachel. And we are going to discuss the basic concepts of the first three years of grieving. And specifically, they will address some of the helpful tools that they have found for themselves along the way. These women are anywhere from 11 months to three plus years in their grief journey after losing each of their children to suicide. We do talk about survival, hope, and healing 
as concepts in these first three years and how they have been affected by these concepts in their life, where they are in their journey. We also talk a little bit about community after loss, because after all, these women are part of a community that meets every week um, through the leftover pieces uh, community. Um, we are always welcoming and open to other moms joining us. If you want to know more about my support communities that I offer and also the once a month support group that meets the first Monday, all of the information for those are on my website. But today, I specifically asked these women to share bits and pieces of their journey and some of the things that they have found most helpful along the way. And I know that today is moms talking about the loss of their children. But I think that if you've lost anyone to suicide, the information that these women share can apply to so many people. And Looking ahead, I am planning to do an episode in the very near future that will also be a roundtable style episode for siblings. I have one planned for friends, and I'm hoping to put together one for dads. And I'm always open to other people contacting me with other ideas, but I really enjoy this style of episode as kind of um, a break from you know, the normal episode, we did something like this for the first episode of the season with my family. And I just really think that a lot of people enjoy hearing multiple viewpoints on some of these topics, especially how we weather and survive this loss and the storm that ensues afterwards, um, in the wake of our broken and shattered hearts. So, I did re-record this intro because this episode was originally due out last Sunday, which this was the 19th, and I came down sick just a few days before. It really hit me hard come Sunday, and I had a few things left to do and just was not able to get them done. So I'm re-recording this and plan to have it out by the 23rd or the 24th. So if you're listening to this, just know that in a few days, from it being released, we will also be having the first question and answer episode uh, down the rabbit hole episode that will be out Sunday, the 26th. And then there will be another regular episode out the following Sunday, um, whatever the first Sunday in March is. So um, again, without further ado, I want to welcome you to today's episode. And we will dive right into this conversation. And before I do that, though, I, I won't consider this a warning. I just want to inform everyone that it is a long episode. It's about an hour and a half. It's worth every single minute to listen to it. But it it's longer so than a lot of episodes. So if you don't have that full time period, you could break it up into several listens. Or you know, if you happen to commute to work, it might be a good one to listen to going to and from work for a few days in order to get it all in. But I have chosen to keep it in one episode because breaking it into two parts just doesn't feel right to me. And I choose to always go with my gut with things like this. So I know you're going to take a lot from this episode and we're going to go ahead and dive in and get started. 
Welcome, ladies. I am beyond humbled and proud to have gotten all of us together to be able to do this, what feels like a very special podcast episode to me. I hope to do a few more like this season, and I'm really excited to have these moms together so that they can tell their story and share some of their grief journey with everybody that's listening. And I actually want to start today before we get into the first first thing and read a poem to start us off that is from a brand new book that just landed in my hands called Loss. It's Poems to Better Weather the Many Waves of Grief by an amazing poem writer named Donna Ashworth. She is a best-selling author, and this poem is called Tragedy. When you have lost someone in a very tragic way, normal grieving rules may not apply. You see, you are dealing with so much, too much. You are processing death. You are processing loss. You are processing a new world without them in it. But you're also processing the horror of their end, the sheer trauma. And trauma has a way of working itself into muscle, bone, brain, and blood. You feel your breath, impossible to catch sometimes. It is no wonder you are in shock. And even when the shock dissipates, underneath it will be trauma. So if this is you, if you are in a world of pain, my friend, please seek help. Be kind to yourself. Please slow down your world and center your well-being at the forefront of your priorities. You will need much time to heal. And I just think that's an appropriate way to start this with these ladies. I feel honored to call them all friends. We're going to hear from Barb and Sarita and Vicki and Betty and Crystal, Carrie Lynn, Rachel, and Marcy. All of us in this podcast episode have lost our children to suicide. All of these mothers have lost their dear children the same as I've lost my Alex. And I'm going to start by asking each of you to share your lost story. And I'm going to start with you, Barb. I lost my son Donovan at 16 years old, 15 months ago, on November 18th, 2021. We knew that he had been struggling for about six or seven months prior to the actual loss. And we had done everything that we could. We had gotten help. We were doing the meds. We were doing the counseling. And we thought we were on the right track and things seemed to be getting better. And then they just weren't. Losing Donovan has been the hardest thing in my life. Thank you. I appreciate you sharing that, Barb. Sarita, would you like to share your lost story with us? Sure. Thanks, Melissa. My name is Sarita. I lost my son, Gage. He was the fifth of five children. He was 17 and a junior in high school. 
he, when COVID hit, he became quite depressed and took his life on April 12th, 2021. That's it. Thanks for sharing, Sarita. Vicki. Thanks, Melissa. I'm Vicki, and I lost my 31-year-old son, Calvin, in December of 2019. It's always hard to say this again, isn't it? Wow, over three years, and it just does not get easier. He was newly married. He left behind a beautiful bride of six weeks and their two dogs. And 11 months before that, they had lost everything in a house fire. Their house, all their belongings, and their other two dogs. It was just, when Barb, I think it was you said, the worst day of your life. I had two of those. I thought the house fire was the worst day of our life. And then that got to be the second worst day ever. Because you feel so helpless in both situations that we couldn't be there to help him. We were far apart distance-wise, too. We live on opposite sides of the country in Canada, so we didn't, we couldn't just hop on a plane quickly and help when we wanted to, but it's been quite the journey. That's about all I could say. Thanks for sharing that, Vicki. I appreciate it. Betty, would you like to share your last story with us? Hi. When I lost my son, Tiberius, October 8th of 2020, my son was a firefighter and I believe was suffering from PTSD after quite a bad call out. So I did see for two weeks, definitely, he was struggling, but would say he was getting help and all the things I, a few days before he died, my sister and I went to Vancouver because we thought my dad was dying. So I was not here when my son died. So that's, it hurts still very much. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, Betty. Crystal. I lost my daughter Taylor 12 22 21 she we battled with her mental health for quite some time from the time she was 10 and she suffered with borderline personality disorder and we fought hard we fought really hard to save her lots of therapy we waited really long to start her on medication because I wanted her brain to balance itself out. So we tried everything. Even as a last resort, we sent her to HICA, the Hoosier Youth Challenge Academy, for her mental health. And she came home probably the strongest and the healthiest that we'd ever seen. At the time, I thought that was the hardest thing I ever had to do was send my 10-year-old baby to a military school for mental health. It was challenging, but like the rest of you moms say, 12, 22, 21 will always be the hardest day of my life. The day that my worst fears 
came true. When she came home from HICA, she was strong and healthy, but she got into a toxic relationship, which slowly started to peel away all of the good that was done. And I was the last person to see her alive. I saw her the morning before she passed. And unfortunately, I was at work when she passed, trying to get some stuff lined or tied up before Christmas so we could have time off together. And my middle child, Danny, is the one that found her, which is still really hard. We were told out of all of us that could find her, other than me, Danny was probably the next best person in the family that could handle it, but who really can't handle this stuff. So yeah, that's my story. Thank you. I appreciate you sharing. Carrie Lynn, would you share your story with us? I'm Carrie Lynn, and we lost my son, Taylor, at the age of 22, May 3rd, 2021. He suffered from depression, anxiety, starting junior year. We got him help, saw a therapist. He was on medication, and we thought he was doing better, especially after high school ended. He seemed to be doing better. And then he moved out and still thought things were fine, but he just put on a happy face for everybody and found out that week before, after he had died, that he was struggling and we weren't told that he was by somebody that was close to him. So, but we had a beautiful day the day before with him, which I'm grateful. And even then we didn't notice anything was different. So That's what happens when I talk on mute. Rachel, would you honor us next by sharing your story? Sure. Thanks, Melissa. My name's Rachel, and we lost our daughter, Jane, in February of 2022. It's coming up on the one-year anniversary of that horrifying day. She died on February 27th, three weeks after turning 20 years old. Jane died at her college. She was a sophomore at Smith College in Massachusetts. And we live in Oregon. So as you can imagine, it's been a very difficult year. Really appreciate this conversation. I'm very grateful to be here. So sorry for everyone's losses. Sending all the love. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you so much. Marcy. Would you introduce yourself and share your story? Yes, hi. Thanks, Melissa. We lost Kara April 22nd of 2021, and she was 23 years old. She was attending nursing school in Arizona. My husband and I, her stepdad, had visited her in March, and she outwardly seemed okay, but I did have some questions. I, and then uh, April 19th, her boyfriend here in Alaska died by suicide. We flew her home. She said she just wanted to come be here for a few days. And then uh, I think she came home to die where he died as well. 
Well, thanks everybody for sharing your stories. And as everyone can hear, um, everyone is inside of three years or less or in less than four, everybody here. And some of you are unfortunately just still trying to navigate your way to the one-year mark. And so this is hard and this is brave. And I just appreciate you guys being willing to have this conversation so very much. As we bridge into this next part where I'm going to ask you guys just a couple of questions and we'll just chat about them each, I'm going to read another poem to bridge us to that from Donna Ashworth's book. I will, of course, link to the book in the show notes so that anybody that wants to get a copy, I actually have thumbed through this enough today that I feel like every griever, but especially grieving moms, should have a copy. This one is called How to Talk to the Grieving. Do not fear how you will speak to the grieving, providing you never say it's time to move on, for that is not possible. They are in a world of pain, and whilst you cannot help them, your kindness has weight. Just show up or stay away, depending on their pain level that day. But show you care and be very sure to remind them that the person they are missing mattered. You cannot choose the wrong words if you let your soul do the talking to their soul. And if you listen closely, the person who has left may help you with your quest to comfort. Or perhaps they will urge you to simply wrap their loved ones in your arms. So as we move into the first question I'm going to ask, I probably will call on you guys in more of a random order. I'm going around the room and just calling on people as I see them on my screen. For everyone that's listening, it's just easier to do that way. But what I want to speak to next, ladies, is that I know that you guys know I talk a lot about what I would probably call the concepts surrounding the first three years, which is survival, hope, and healing. And I kind of want to visit that. And I, for the most part, almost all of you have made it through the first year of survival. And Rachel, when we get to that point, you may have a little bit different take on some of this. And I welcome it to be whatever it needs to be because you are still navigating those final lasts of the first, right? So, which is the last parts of the first year of, of just surviving all of the firsts that occur. And what I want to do is talk a little bit about specifically hope and healing as they have shown up in your life. And a little bit more specifically, of if anyone is willing to address kind of that age old question of healing is in because that that can be misconstrued, I think, by some people as to mean, you're going to move on from this, or you're going to get over this. And as we know, all of you guys that we work so closely together, healing from trauma is absolutely possible in my belief. Now, that doesn't mean every one of you have gotten to the place of believing that, although it would be my wish that you have found enough hope 
to believe that it's possible, but I'd be interested to hear what everybody has to say about hope and healing when they feel like maybe hope showed up first, what that looked like, and then what your healing journey kind of has looked like, or focus on a part of it if you want. But bring in anything you want from the modalities that you have used, whether they be metaphysical or Western medicine, whether it's therapies or books or of the sort, maybe some of the tools and resources that have been most helpful to you in your healing journey. But if you wouldn't mind starting with the idea of the hope and healing and how that resonates with you as a grieving mom of, did you ever take exception to the idea of this can't possibly ever be something I am, that I feel better carrying? Like, and do you now believe that that is possible. Like, I'm, I guess I'm, I just want to have some discussion and hear everybody's different view based on where you're at in your journey, because it is different. And I think as you talk, as you contribute, I would love to hear you specifically remind everybody how far into your journey you are, because I think that would be important to hear before you answer the question. And if you want to pass and hear somebody else speak, if I call on you and you're not quite ready to answer, just say that and we'll just move on to somebody else. But I would love to call on Vicki to speak to this first since Vicki has, you can listen to her podcast episode separately, but she is a little bit more seasoned at answering some of these questions. And so I'm going to start with you if you don't mind first, Vicki, to break the ice and speak about healing and hope. Absolutely. It's not a journey for the week, but then again, neither is being a parent. So there's, you just do things sometimes like nobody tells you when they hand you a baby how to look after, let alone once they get older and they can speak. And then all of, we all know this and they struggle with different, every child is different. I come from a huge family on my dad's side, like aunts and uncles. And out of that many people, none of no, no two of them were ever the same. So neither can our children be. So when people say something about getting over it, well, would you get over it? <laughs> if you lost one of your children, of course not. And we try not to say it rudely like that. So, <laughs> But, you know, there's a lot that I don't remember. Yes, it's been three years, more than three years now. I find I stop counting the dates so much. I forget when it's the ninth of the month or sometimes it's the mirror month when the ninth is on a Monday. That always means it's a Friday the 13th, which his funeral was on. So every time, sometimes there's comments made just in society about, ooh, Friday the 13th, and oh, that just slams you right back to three years ago. So that's a tough one to overcome. But sometimes it happens and I don't even realize. Um, but in the beginning, I don't remember a whole lot. I know we all get that way. The, the grief fog or the brain fog, whatever we call it, you survive, you manage. I probably, I, not probably, I know I said terrible, hurtful things probably to people in the moment and not understood or realized what was going on. And a lot of it. I guess that's the protection is that we, for our own hearts and our brains, we're kind of protected from some things of the shock and the trauma. And But that 
it doesn't ever go away, the shock or the trauma. But when it came to hope, I feel like that first winter and if Calvin died in 2019 in December. So that was just sort of coming into COVID. So when there was downs and isolation, I was great with that. I was thrilled. Yes. Let me stay home. Let me not talk to people. Let me just stay in my little happy place and crochet all day long. And that's when I knew all of a sudden, oh, there is hope. I couldn't even, I'm a crafter. I just automatically pick up the crochet hook if I sit and watch TV or go for a long car ride. It always comes with me. So I couldn't even think of doing anything. I like most of us, just sat and stared out the window for days and weeks at a time. And then one day I just asked my daughter to come to the craft store with me to pick out something, pick out some yarn, any color. Let me make you something. Just tell me to make you something because I thought that might spark something. Of course, she picked black and I was like, well, that's kind of boring, but it's what she wanted. And I just like to look at the yarn or do different textile things, touch it. We live in a beautiful part of the country here, so we can go outside all the time and walk and be in nature. And even that didn't appeal. I mean, that's why I moved here. And I wasn't too excited about doing a lot of that, but it all sort of started to come. And then it turned into something with a connection with one of the ladies in our group about crocheting little hearts and putting tags on them and leaving them for people to find. And now I call them joy bombs and leave them on shopping carts or on the shelf in the library or just different places that I want to maybe just leave it. Somebody might need to hear that they're loved. <laughs> so those are just little selfless acts, I guess, that I do and not for attention or for any other reason than it makes me happy and it makes Calvin happy. I know that. So also... I really hope that through all of this, that I've become a more compassionate person, that I pay attention more to signs and signals and other people's emotions, and that I can reach out if somebody's having a hard day. It doesn't mean I'm going to know the right words to say. I work in an office. If somebody has suffered a loss of any sort, you still don't really know what to say, but just reaching out and saying that I'm thinking of you really helps. There is hope, definitely. Thanks for sharing that, Vicki, and thanks for starting things rolling. Does anybody feel led to contribute next, or do you want me to just pick? Okay, Sarita, would you mind sharing next how you feel about if hope has shown up for you and what you're doing to help? try to start healing some of the trauma? Sure, Melissa. So Gage has been gone for 22 months. And I think that my tools and what I use have varied as the time goes by. It doesn't seem like it's that far along, but at the very beginning, it was just even hard to believe. Suicide wasn't even on our radar. It was like, what? What? And... I got so many people from the community who said, we can't believe this happened to your family. This just is not. And I think we were in kind of a collective shock. And and I look back and realize that a lot of my talents, a lot of things that I had before 
are now important to me after Gage's death. And right after his death, I was a grief counselor before, so I went on just autopilot. And I used my intellectual head and just said, you have to eat, you have to sleep. And just kind of being like a human zombie. That's And I knew I had to do these things, just physical things, and not challenge myself. The other thing that has probably been the most important to me is my work in intuitive, my intuitive work. And when, so Gage died at home and I found him and I did CPR and we were able to get his heart beating again, but he died of brain death in the ICU. While I visited him in the ICU I didn't know where he was, what realm he was in. And I talked to him and I said, now, which is he used to make fun of my intuitive work. So I said, now, and that you need to reach beyond the veil because I need you. And then he died the next day and was able to donate his organs and save a lot of people. So I leaned really heavily into intuitive work. And I saw the signs really quickly. For example, when he was in the hospital, I called him my silly little monkey, which I have never done before. And I went home and a lady came and said, it's really weird. I had a dream about Gage, but he was curious, George. And there, there's too many to go into here. I remember the most powerful meeting I had with Gage was to, it was in a dream and he came in, I was in his room and everything was different. And I realized that the windows represented the future and the door represented the past. And I was in this room looking where everything was the same, but not the same. And then the door creaked open and his head popped in. And I looked and I, and I was totally confused. And I said, but Gage, you're dead. And then I realized, I said, you're coming to see me. And my heart, my whole world, I mean, I could still feel the feeling now was pure joy, just shining joys, something I can't experience in this world. So I've really leaned heavily into that. And what's helped me a lot is to talk with him almost every day in the shower. And I put my hand on my, my, my fingers on my hand and I talk to him. And then I put my fingers on my heart and thank him and thank myself for opening up to him. And so I think that is probably my major way I cope with it is because I I can't find, I know that I will never see him in this physical realm. So I know that I needed to find him and make a relationship with him, however way I could. And I already had the tools and these are tools that anyone, everyone has. I just happen to be developing them. So the last thing I'm going to say is shortly after he died, his girlfriend went to a medium. And she gave a lot of evidence that she was, in fact, talking to my son. And then the medium said to her, well, his mom is deceased. 
yes or no, there's something strange. And she's, and she said, no, she's not. And he said, well, she knows where he is. She's talking to him. And I thought that was awesome. So that's yeah. kind of my story. Yeah. Sarita, thank you so much for sharing that. That's something new you haven't shared before. And I am honored that you did. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Marcy, would you like to share next about any of the, any of your thoughts on healing, hope, what's helped you, however you want to want to go at this, go for it. Well, by the time Kara had been gone at the 11 month ish mark up to then, I definitely believed once you're dead, that was just my belief. And so it was really hard for me to, I had a lot of suicidal ideation. I, I really did not want to live in this world without Kara. So I'll spare you all the details, but I met a woman in Hawaii about six months before Kara died that had been talking about a medium that she'd been to in LA a couple of times. And I just thought, oh, that's interesting, but really didn't put a lot of stock into it until Kara passed away. Right. So I contacted this medium in LA and had a a phone call with him 11 months after Kara passed. And that day is where my hope started. There is no doubt in my mind that Kara's right there beside me. She was right there with me. And that just leading up to that, I had extreme anxiety daily, caused me to not be able to leave my home a lot. Just all the things that go along with anxiety. And I've never once experienced anxiety since then. Obviously, I would change everything to have her back, right? But that day started my healing. That was March 28th. And I guess for me, my healing started then. And I think a lot of people think healing would mean you're you're okay now, you're over it or whatever. For me, healing means I started to move. I used to move from my bed to my couch and then lay there all day or sit and stare out the window, right? But within a couple of days of that phone call, I started exercising again. I started eating again properly. I started taking my all my little supplements I take and my regimen and I started some Reiki set sessions and massage therapy and some breath work and some just all the things that I thought I've got to start moving. I, at that point still couldn't read anything. So I really started diving into listening to podcasts and healing and all those things. And that's just really where my life he really turned around that day for me. Thanks for sharing that, Marcy. And I personally, probably along with a couple other people in this room, remember that. And I definitely saw the shift in you. Like it was a great difference from where you had been before and where we've seen you afterwards. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. I'm glad that was this. Yeah, go ahead. Just want to add one more thing. Up to that point, my dog Daisy, who Kara and I have matching Daisy tattoos on our ankles. And then when we got my little Shih Tzu, Kara named my dog Daisy. So that's just kind of special, right? But up to that day in March, before I had that call, Daisy, she never left my side, literally from the shower to the sink to the toilet 
to the dishwasher, to the stove. Like she never left my side. I really was, I really felt like I had traumatized my dog. She was so close to me. When I had that reading, we were in North Carolina because my mother-in-law had passed away. So I wasn't really home. I wasn't home when I had that reading. When I came home, my dog saw that shift. She felt that shift. She's still like, if I have a bad day and I'm crying on the couch, she's going to be right there with me immediately, but she's normal now. And she's, she's not by my side 24 seven. So I just feel like that. So telling she felt something change inside of me. So that's just nice to see her back to a normal dog. Yeah, I love that. I love that addition. Thank you for sharing that additional piece. Cause that is, I had almost forgotten you've told, you had told us that about Daisy before and it speaks to me not only to say that she was so in tuned with your anxiety, but it also tells me that probably she was there partially guided by Kara looking over you. And once Kara and you had been able to connect, it was all kind of that release for Daisy. Daisy knew that you were in a better place that you could now start to, like you said, move forward. I sometimes call it growing forward, but you just, it was amazing, the shift, and thanks for adding that part. So, Betty, would you be willing to share next and talk about hope and healing for you? <laughs> sure. The one day that stands out the most, I think, for my healing, somehow I found Melissa's podcast. I don't remember how. Maybe it was through Carolyn Brookings, maybe, when she was doing her interview series. Anyway, I, it was, a year after the last day I'd seen Tiberius alive and I found out about Melissa's group and I think sent a message right away, asked if I could participate. I just was there and just listened. I couldn't participate verbally, but um, just having had that safe space was, it just, it was just so healing for me as much as there's so much that we all go through with this horrible card we were dealt with. It's just knowing that we have people that can literally say similar things coming out of their mouth and you're like, wow, this person understands me. Your your family's there, your friends are there, but it's so different when it's people that are in your understand. Um, so thank you, Melissa, <laughs> bottom of my heart for that. I also did some learning around what other people were doing in the healing space around suicide loss. I, I spent some time with a, a healer called Rebecca Jacks and did some breath work and EFT tapping and that stuff. And that was really great. I'm not really good with counseling. Like other than with people that like all of you is one thing, but in a counseling session, I didn't feel that was as helpful. I'm very physical person. So to do healing modalities that really helped move the energy from my body in different ways was really helpful. Having my daughter's dog Again, it was, I was very much just stuck in my home, not wanting to talk to anybody and 
having her to actually get me out the door and get in nature and take those moments to look at things that were with new eyes almost it seemed like I've always been a lover of nature but to see things a sunset a sunrise any of those things that just for the moment give you a spark of joy was really helpful what else exercise getting back into some exercise and meditation start every morning with it and I don't often sit quietly sometimes just getting there and just making the time to do it really is helpful tarot cards that type of thing just to have a motivational saying or something that can maybe help shift the day a little bit helps yeah and I think having other family members like I think had I been a mom just to Tiberius not having five other kids it might have been a different scenario with me. As Marcy said, I was also had suicidal ideation, but I knew I had to keep together for the rest of my children. Like, and I still kind of have those conversations in my head. I want to be strong for them because I also want them to be able to open up if their need to speak about whatever's going on for them. It's we need to create that world where it's normal to be normalized that we can speak what's really going on and not to put on the strong face like Tiberius did every day. Thanks for listening. You're welcome. Thanks for sharing. (sighs) You guys, this is such good things to be sharing. I appreciate it so very much. Barb, would you be willing to share next? Yeah, thanks, Melissa. It's funny, it's a, it's the same with every support group meeting. I listen to everybody talk and it's so much of it just, it's the same. Like I, I struggled in the beginning. Well, I mean, I still struggle. Every day is a struggle, but I found my Donovan as well. And I don't know. I don't know if that makes it easier or harder because you have that reality in front of you or harder because you there's so many sides to it. But I struggled with suicidal ideation. I struggled with that image. And the thing that really helped me get past that and into being able to remember other things about him was EMDR therapy. That was a huge shift for me. Yeah, moving like moving from the survival from that first year I don't even remember. (laughs) I'm only 15 months in. And so three months past that first year mark. And I don't even remember that first year. Most of it is just a complete blur. I know that I did my job. I went to work. I did the things I needed to do and I survived it, but that's about it. The second year is I'm finding some days harder, but I'm also finding that when I have those spirals or melty moments, I'm able to go into them and come out of them faster, which makes a difference. I've started with some awareness activities and things like that. And I've found that I think healing for me, a big part of healing for me is going to be helping others helping other moms and families when they find themselves in this situation because 
one of the hardest things that I remember is having to leave the house for the night, my house being treated like a crime scene, having to leave and coming back a couple days later. And the support system that I was left with was a pile of pamphlets on my kitchen table. And I was just supposed to figure it out from there. So unfortunately, there have been several other teen suicides in our area since Donovan passed. And I make an effort to reach out to the families and the parents and offer that if whether it's now or weeks in or months in that at some point if they need something or just want some resources or someone to cry with them that that I'm here and I think that's going to be the biggest healing thing for me is just being something for someone else Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Crystal, would you be willing to share next? Yeah. My goodness. Remind us where you're at in your journey. Oh, yes. This is Crystal. I'm 423 days into our loss, just a little over a year. And I actually found this group right before our, our one year. But after the unthinkable happens. I don't know. I was struggling with Taylor as long as I did. And once I learned about her borderline personality disorder, suicide became my greatest fear. And then once it became my terrible reality, you just search, you search for something that's going to make you feel something other than like your soul being ripped out, like the pain, the never ending pain. It just I always talk about inside out. Joy was always in control of my headspace. I rarely ever cried. I usually pushed my feelings away and <laughs> feeling sad all day, every day. I didn't know how to deal with it. I fortunately didn't suffer from suicidal ideation, but every day I woke up, I was disappointed. I woke up. I very much wanted to join my daughter. And I still even find some days I'm disappointed to be here, but I have two other daughters that very much need me and that's motivation. I found, unfortunately, I didn't find your podcast first, Melissa, but some friends had told me to read some books and then I tried. The Body Keep Score is an awesome book, but I couldn't read before I couldn't listen to podcasts. I couldn't listen to audiobooks. My brain just didn't function that way. After the loss, that's the only way my brain could absorb anything was podcasts and audiobooks. So I found a podcast that I listen to constantly. You can yeah. say the name. It's okay. I'll put it in the show notes. I totally got out of bed. And I think I was just Googling suicide podcast or suicide help or, and the article just came out and I listened to it over and over. And I learned about not being descriptive, being, or not being prescriptive, being descriptive, getting tools for your toolbox. So I constantly would search for tools for my toolbox. And my kids seeing a very good therapist who specializes in trauma, Barb, like you, Danny, finding Taylor, it was an image she just couldn't get rid of. And we'd heard about EMDR therapy and that very much helped her and has kind of helped me and my trauma. But being on that search 
for relief, I started being very vocal. I would post things talking about it because people say some stupid stuff. And I just felt if we could raise awareness and normalize these conversations, that maybe it wouldn't be so traumatic and painful. And a good friend introduced me to another woman. I was a guest on her podcast, I think Brave Enough. And that kind of just torpedoed me being the trauma first responder in my area. So whenever anything bad would happen, me or my husband would be their first phone call because look at the look at our family. We're doing so well, which paint a picture. You can be normal somewhat out in public. But I started collecting resources. I was keeping a resource page and I think I was looking for best suicide podcasts and I found yours, Melissa. And I think Sarita and maybe Betty was talking about you so wonderfully coined the phrase Wuville. Wuville was probably when I started finding hope, I guess. Anyway, when I found Wuville, like crystal therapy, cranial sacral work, the chakras, Wuville's massive. But that really did start to get me to a point where I didn't cry every single day. And that was, it was nice, but I was just having this conversation that it feels good to not be, to cry every single day, but then you feel bad. It feels weird. Your body isn't used to not being in constant sadness. So I have to say probably the talk therapy has been so helpful, but connecting with people, people that have suffered in a similar trauma and hearing that I'm not crazy, the things I'm thinking, the things I'm feeling, and the things I'm finding comfort in are working for people that have suffered through awful traumas like my own. So I will always say I can't thank you enough, Melissa, for doing what you do and all those other women out there or men that are trying to help others. We all kind of get there at some point where we want to advocate for our kids. I think the second year sometimes is harder because I don't remember much of that first year, but there are still things. And I think that's really what hurts. And my aha moment is I can heal the trauma, but grief never heals. And I'll still be punched in the gut and knocked over or not want to get out of bed or every Wednesday or around the 22nd of the month, my body keeps the score. I feel sick. So I think that's the grief. Sorry, I have a loud dog. No, that's okay. Thank you for sharing all of that. I really appreciate it. So Carrie Lynn, I think I'm down to just two of you. Carrie Lynn, would you share next? Well, before Taylor died, I was an avid reader and would read uh, two, three books a week after I couldn't read anything. And I really wanted to because that was my first go-to was to try and find books to help figure things out and so somebody gave me a book that just had these little like affirmations almost that you would read every day. And that really helped just so I had something to read every day a little bit. And then gradually, I think it might've been, I found your podcast or I found 
grief podcast and I came across yours and thank goodness I did because I, we had done therapy it with something like this. It just didn't help with our family. I tried the support group in our community and I did not feel that helped either. I just felt like they were just not moving forward. Like I needed something, people that have gone through the same thing that can help me find tools to move forward. And I mean, obviously not forget what happened or, but just move forward so that I could just get up and not cry every single day. And so the podcast helped you girls all helped finding books. I was able to finally read and the resources that everybody has brought forth. We did do a medium reading, which really helped my husband. He, it was like, he just a light finally kind of came back in his eyes after the medium reading and the things that she had said and were totally tailored. Just, I mean, we were even laughing, which we didn't think would happen again. And, and just being vocal, I guess, about Taylor. I still talk about him. I don't care if people are uncomfortable or not. I mean, I bring up his name like every day, probably. And if people are uncomfortable, they don't have to listen to me. But I talk to him every day and he's still my son. So I still want to talk about him and all the silly things he did, or I just, he'll always be here. So. Thanks. I appreciate that, Carrie Lynn. Rachel, it's our baby of the group Mm -hmm. as far as where you're at in your journey. Be delicate with yourself, but if you would share what you might be finding some help in or whatever you want to add to this, I would be honored to hear you share that. Thank you. Crystal knew the exact number of days since Taylor transitioned. I had actually realized this morning that it is 355 days since we lost Jane because we're heading towards the anniversary on the 27th. So yeah, the baby griever. And I guess before I kind of recount the journey of some of the things that have helped during this terrifying and unimaginably painful year, I would just like to take a moment to say to anyone who's listening to the podcast who is in the throes of early grief that my heart is with you. You will get through this. We're all here surviving this. And I know it It just feels impossible. But at 355 days, when I look back on the things I've done to help move myself through each of those days, I just hope that anything here might be something that could offer you some comfort too. So I'm very fortunate that my therapist that I already had in place is someone with years of trauma informed care after. Jane died, I thought, oh gosh, I'll have to find a new therapist. But 
she just had a different gear I didn't know about. (laughs) And so she was able to just scoop me up and really care for me and my trauma. And I'm so grateful for that continuing relationship. I'm fortunate that I didn't have to take the time to seek out care. I dropped right into that as we faced this crisis. So I'm grateful for that. That would be a piece of advice that I would give is to just ensure that you're working with someone who really has a firm background in what it means not only to deal with grief, but to deal with trauma, because not all grief has trauma, but all trauma has grief and every loss to suicide is traumatic. So one of the first resources that I think I discovered, I haven't heard mentioned, but I'll I'll mention it here in case it's of use to someone listening is the Alliance of Hope. They have an online forum. And in the early days and weeks and months, that was a space where I got some solace and support. One of the things that's nice about it is it's open 24-7. It's all online. You can post anonymously. You can create a profile that isn't your real name. You don't have to use your child's name if you're not comfortable. So with this type of death, perhaps people are in a position where they're not ready to disclose how someone dies and they're reeling from the loss themselves. Where do you turn? So I think Alliance of Hope is really populated with some very special people who really care. And there are a lot of people further along on their lost journey who scoop those of us who are newer along and with a lot of kindness. So that would be a place to go. I also dropped in pretty early to the Center for Loss and Bereavement, which is run by Alan Wolfelt, who has a zillion books on grief and trauma. Someone had recommended the series of books that he's done on suicide grief. Bring podcasts like this one has been really helpful. Joining this space has been really helpful. Another resource that I've taken advantage of and my family has benefited from is Eric's House. I've used grief companioning with them. So they're trained in the Wolfelt model of care and the founder, Marion Gouvier, lost her son to suicide actually on the same day as our daughter. So that's kind of a weird coincidence. I have a meeting with her this week about rounding towards this hideous anniversary. There's nothing to look forward to about the date that our daughter died. Hard pressed to find a way to endure it. So I'm going to be meeting with Marianne about that and would encourage people to check out Eric's house also for support group for dads that's ongoing that my husband has been a member of. And I think that dads are so underrepresented in grieving spaces. That's a resource that's worth checking out. Another thing that I've been doing for quite a while is grief yoga with Paul Denniston. Paul is the font of this really wonderful grief yoga program. There are probably lots of them, but for me, this has really worked. It's all on Zoom. It's once a week, these classes plus extra bonus classes throughout the month. And that modality, I think Betty talked about the somatic modality and getting in your body, helping to process the trauma. That's really been effective for me, so much so that I actually trained with Paul to be a grief movement guide. So I'm a certified grief movement guide now, which I never would have thought 355 days ago that that would be something that I would be doing. But as soon as I get kitted up with my Zoom technology and my new fancy 
wireless microphone, I'll be able to offer my movement classes to other bereaved parents. So I'm excited to be able to take this pain and turn it into purpose. And I would not have ever thought that I'd be there, but here I am. Another another aspect of the somatic work that I've done is the somatic healing practices that have been developed by Peter Levine. I was able to find Rewire Therapy, which is online. I accessed a series of somatic learning modules, which again, I did one a day for 10 days, and now I just have them on repeat. And so I drop in and I do my somatic practice pretty much every day. They don't take a lot of time, but it helps center me and there's nothing more important than that. I've also felt fortunate to be a part of David Kessler's Tender Hearts group, and it turns out it's a really good fit for me. I've really relied on online opportunities, so that one is accessible and really meaningful to me. And then beyond anything that's sort of like a program or whatever, I garden, I walk my two giant dogs, rain or shine, meditate, yoga, I journal write every day, do creative writing every day. I like to cook and I like to bake for my husband and my son. I've realized in these 355 days that those things are self-care. I used to think they were kind of like, oh, I have to cook dinner. And now I'm like, I get to cook dinner because it I find it soothing and integrating. So that kind of is a an indicator, just sort of a rundown of some of the things. My my take home would be experiment, try something, see if it works. If it's working, helping you feel a little comfort, helping you feel a little calmer, great. If it stops working, stop doing it. (laughs) Try something else. If you see something come through that's a free webinar to check out a healing modality, you you might just sign up for it and give your time over to that hour. You never know. It might be the right instructor for you. It might be the right modality for you to just begin to access some of those feelings. And I'm grateful that I've had that chance, the flexibility with my work schedule and so on to enable me to be here. I don't think if if I didn't have all of these things I just listed, I don't know where I'd be right now. So anyway, that's kind of in a nutshell what I've been up to. Thank you. I appreciate you sharing all of that. And you will now have a reminder whenever you need to go back and listen later. And you say, I don't know if I remember being on your podcast, you'll be able to go back and listen. So and all of us are nodding. Drop in to where I was at. I'll be curious when I look back on it in a few years. I'm curious to see where the grief movement education, where that develops. That's just like a little seed now that I've planted, but I I feel like it could help me find meaning. Um, Nothing will take away the pain of losing Jane, but as I imagine helping to support other grieving parents, there's a little light in my heart and makes me feel a little bit motivated to go down that path. So I'm curious where that'll go. Yeah, me too. And um, me too. And I know you'll I know Jane will be guiding you all the way along. So, <laughs> well, yeah. she loved dance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she was really, she was really always up for a new idea. So, listen to her for sure. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks so much, Rachel. So, I want to 
get us bridged into the next one, which I don't think, I think it's just an extension of what we've been talking about. So really, if everybody would just be willing to share a couple of thoughts on this, I think it's really just a way to wrap up what we've been talking about. But I think each and every one of you knows how much I believe in community after loss, meaning finding your people, finding your fellow grievers, especially for us that are moms, our fellow mothers that have also experienced this loss because being able to look eye to eye with a mother who had lost her son to suicide only six weeks after I lost Alex was the first time I felt not so alone. And it's not like I didn't have family or loved ones. It's not like I didn't feel loved. I felt loved and alone. And because even though everybody else in my world had experienced the loss of Alex, I, as his mom, just felt so incredibly alone in in how I was feeling. And I'm, I am not speaking to knowing how everybody else was feeling. All I can know is how I felt as his mom. And so that planted a seed for me that lay dormant under frozen ground for a very long time. That lay dormant for a very long time before it, it started to sprout, if you will. But to hear you guys all talking about at least a lot of you talking about feeling like there are those little seeds and you're kind of feeling the sunlight starting to hit them. I can say that it's sitting at six and a half years and 10 days into my journey as a suicide loss mom. It was about year three that I felt the sun really start to warm that. And I knew that I had to do something, which was where the idea for this podcast was born because I couldn't really find the podcast that I needed. I found some really amazing grief podcasts and I found a couple of suicide loss podcasts that were no longer recording. They had only done a handful of episodes. And so I listened to those and gobbled them up and they just were no longer recording. So that ended where it did. And I kind of just one day said, I need to do this. And I couldn't explain it, but it was driven by my need to try to connect with other grievers and try to bridge that gap of us feeling so alone. And I knew that we also had to have meaningful conversations or we would never get out from under the stigmas that exist. And whether that's the stigma for mental health, whether that's a stigma for suicide loss or suicidal ideation, but also the stigma that exists for grievers. We're not very good in our Western culture with how we handle grievers. And I thought we just have to start having these conversations. And I've always kind of been, I'd like to think in a good way, but a shit stir when I need to be. And so it was kind of my way of saying, I'm going to stand up and talk about this. And if nobody listens, (laughs) it's okay. I still need to talk about it. And I hoped to just connect with one person. And unfortunately, the need for this kind of connection is way greater than my little heart could comprehend at the time. And when I first had the notion that I wanted to start a support community, it was because we were in the throes of COVID and we were all alone in our homes. And so nobody could go out. And I had in my former community where I 
grew up and raised my kids and all the things in Kansas City, I had been able to go to in-person in support groups when I wanted to. And then I found myself down in Florida where I wasn't in a community I knew, nor could anybody go meet in person. So even if I wanted to, we couldn't. And so I just listened to that little nudge, which probably was named Alex, and decided that I wanted to start holding online support groups. And this has just been a calling of my heart. And to hear many of you say that's where you're feeling called to, as you're feeling called to help in some way and to turn pain into some form of purpose and power. This is, and I, I remember, Barb, you said at first, earlier on as we started this talk about healing is I don't know where I would be myself if I wasn't using the pain as well as the gifts that I now feel from Alex to reach out and connect with others and feel like at the very least as being a little farther along can offer some hope that there's still a life worth living that there's still joy out there, that we can shine our beautiful children's light into this world. And so, and then this community where you all belong as part of the inner circle of the all access group where we meet weekly, this I didn't really know for sure what this was going to be. I had different ideas. I had different, and I've just tried to always say, I want it to happen however it needs to happen. And I've talk to Alex a lot and let him guide me. And what this community has of you amazing ladies and several others who are not here with us tonight has become, has surpassed anything I could have hoped as much as I wish we would have never had to know each other and meet, if that all sounds like a duality it is. So I would love to hear you each just if you were willing to because I know we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but some of my hope for this episode is not only that others, not just moms, but other people that have lost their children or their parents or their spouses or their siblings or their friends or their family members, that they will take something from all of these amazing things that you guys have shared on ways that the, you have survived, ways that you're healing, ways that you found hope. But I firmly believe, and especially for moms, that connecting with other moms in some capacity really makes a difference. I would love to hear each of you speak a little bit to this community and what you think if you could encourage somebody to, whether it's this community in Leftover Pieces or another one that resonates with you, why you would encourage other moms especially or other people to find other siblings or other people that have experienced their loss, why you would do that. I would love to hear each of you share just really briefly about that and any encouragement that you would have to somebody that's listening that might be either on the fence which could be led by fear. Let's face it, fear leads us in grief. It leads us heavily. Or if maybe you've tried a few things and they haven't worked, so you just feel like it's not worth it to keep trying. So I'd like you to speak to kind of those people. And Rachel, I'd love to go backwards and start with you and let you start us off. And then I think we'll go to Sarita right after that. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Such an interesting question. I really appreciate 
having a chance to just talk a little bit about community and how important it is. Just a couple days ago, I got out a piece of paper and a pencil and I made a little list of uh, people I felt like I could do activities with, potentially, if I felt like I might do an activity, and people I could reach out to if I needed support. I thought it would just be kind of important for me to have that in mind as I head through this month that includes our daughter's birthday and the anniversary of her passing. And what I noticed after I made my little list, which I did kind of unconsciously just going through the contacts of my phone, is that everyone on the activity list was really not a griever and everyone on the support list was. (laughs) So I think that that says a lot in terms of how important community becomes. Pretty much every single person I turn to now for really support, guidance, just unconditional connection besides my husband is another bereaved parent. And it's so interesting that all these folks were strangers to me one year ago. We had no reason to know each other. And I appreciate, Melissa, that you will often say, I'm so sorry we have a reason to know each other, that this is the reason that brings us together. But at the same time, I'm so grateful we're all here. The tenderness and the connection that bereaved parents, and especially people who've lost their children traumatically, show to one another is just it's just incredible. There's a camaraderie and a mutual regard and respect and consideration that I've really never seen in life before. The way people show up for each other are there for each other, the way that they will understand why something is hard when it could be a big thing to any outside observer But an outside observer who's not a griever might think, well, that's a small thing. Why is that upsetting you? But another bereaved parent always gets it. We don't have to explain things to each other. We just know. So it's it's really helpful. Everyone's loss is unique because our lives, our children are unique. Our hearts are broken universally, but broken in different ways. (laughs) And the losses that we feel are different every day for us because every day is different but but there's this common thread that unites us that that binds us together and knowing that I have people I can reach out to and knowing that they can reach out to me is a huge source of strength and support Thanks, Rachel. Thanks so much for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you for everything you do to help make that possible. Oh, it's my honor. I, Sarita, would like you to share next. Thank you, Melissa. So, Sarita, in a earlier support or another support group, a man said that I, man said that he started living the day his son died. So, That would make me 22 months old now. And I thought, that's a great concept. I'm just a 22-month-old. And what the community, what is so important about community for me is that it provides me safety in the world that has become really unsafe and as we as I slowly get back into a world that seems more normal, 
at least as far as my physical safety, it provides a psychological safety for me. And that's so, so important. And I started with actually Melissa's podcast. And I would listen to that every day because that provided me, her voice was very soothing. And it was someone that got it, that knew. And that made me feel safe. And then I branched out and have done other support groups. And it's that's probably been the number one thing that's helped me. Everything else is helping, but that is probably the number one thing. Because if I think I'm going crazy or nuts, I can always call someone and they can say, oh, yeah, really? Yeah, of course you are. So, who also yeah. thinks they're crazy or nuts. You can call right, someone right. else who also, you know. <laughs> and then you're like, okay, well, we're crazy and nuts together, yeah. right? Let's be realistic. So that's why, I mean, I took it one step further. And if I had to do something, especially in my first year for the very first time, I would call someone who got it, who had lost a child and say, hey, come stand me, stand by me, come with me. Don't have to say anything. Just stand with me. So community is really awesome. And I think like I said here, I mean, Melissa, you're just a rock star. Like the first time I I talked to Melissa, I, I said to her, God, I feel like I'm talking to a rock star because I had listened to her <laughs> for so many months. So. I've been called a whole lot of things in my life, Sarita, <laughs> but that is not one of them. So <laughs> there you go. So, so I'll take it as an eighties kid envision bigger hair than I have. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that so much. And let's see, Carrie Lynn, would you like to share with us next on your thoughts on support groups and, and I mean I, topping Sarita saying support equals safety like I wrote that yeah, down I and circled that because that was gold so well I kind of went over it earlier but I did try a couple of support groups and I think one of the great things about this one that I mean one of the huge things is we're all moms. And we can just share whatever we want and not feel like we're being judged. And just we're in a safe space that we're going through. We know that they'll understand. And I just, this has worked the best for me than any of the other support groups that I have been in. And I'm just thankful for each and every one of you. And I think everybody has to find what works for them. Like I said, I tried a few different things and it just didn't work. With Zoom also, it's nice because somebody that isn't comfortable sharing, they can just kind of sit in the background and listen. And they don't need to talk, but they can eventually realize that they're not the only ones going through this that we are there for them and they're more than welcome to join us when they're ready. Yeah, that's so important. And I know Betty mentioned that at one point too, at least in our support community in, in my support world, nobody's ever going to feel like they have to share or, I mean, 
because Betty already led with this and talked about it. I mean, you weren't even off camera for the, for a number of meetings in the beginning and you just came and I think soaked in being in the atmosphere of other moms and listening to stories and feeling comfortable enough that you could eventually come off camera and share. And I remember seeing that transition in you. And um, even now, sometimes we, because we know this journey is so all over the place, it's not linear. One of us that may have been really talkative last week, one week may show up and say, I just can't tonight, guys, I want to be here, but I don't have, I don't have a lot I could share, or I don't want to share, I just need to sit here. And that's always respected. Sometimes people are on the road and they still want to listen, but they can't come on camera and share. And those let us know they're here to be a part of it. But that, And so just being able to show up <clears throat> wherever you are, however you are, to me is so important. And that is an element that can exist in a physical support group. I think it's one of the unique things that did come from the COVID world that has been a positive where communication and technology is concerned that we can connect all over the world. We can do it from the comfort of our couch and our pajamas if we want and the safety of being with others all over the globe that we never knew we could know, but have now become our lifeline is invaluable, I think. So anybody want to share next? Want to be brave enough to unmute and share? I think I saw Vicky's hand just barely before Barb. So we'll go from Vicky to Barb. <laughs> Vicki. Thanks. Thanks. I agree wholeheartedly with everything that everybody has said, first of all. And I think, oh, that makes so much sense. And it's because we think the same and feel the same, but it's all different at the same time. But that is the community right there is just the safety and the knowing that we can share things that we wouldn't tell other people possibly, or that we're afraid to even tell ourselves. So definitely community is what, yeah. And it did start with the podcast and then it was early on, I guess, because I'm a little, I'm the old one of the group next to you, Melissa, sorry, <laughs> that didn't come out right. <laughs> but Older griever to be clear, yes, older, yes. Gr older in our grief journey. Yes. Long Although ago, I don't know, maybe I'm the oldest. I don't know, Vicki, no. we'll just say oldest griever. You're just further down the path. We'll say it that way. And so I didn't, I reached out to you, I think right away on Instagram. And I thought, oh, I'm not afraid of celebrities or people that are on TV or any of that. I'll just go up and talk to anybody. So I reached out and we started messaging right away. And I felt this connection. And then right away, it was between our boys. And that was just, okay, there's something going on here. And we were getting signs from each other's boys so, and, and we live as far apart as we probably could from one end of North America to the other so it was just that was bizarre and last fall uh, my second cousin came to visit and she's just the sweetest kindest lovely girl and she and Calvin were only about three months apart and they grew up and like as kids and then they're teenagers and they go different ways but they still were always connected anyways she came here and we just did everything. We, when we have company, we just explore everywhere. And she said on one of our nice quiet moments, just talking and being out in nature, she said, oh, I was kind of bragging about all of you. And she said, I am so glad we found your tribe. And <laughs> I know my tribe's in Wooville now too, because all of that, like she said, can you take me 
to the hippie shops or whatever she called them, like all the crystal stores and the the tarot cards and any of it. And I gave her one of those joy bombs to take home with her. And it took her a long time to place it. And she finally did. And she shared a really cool spiritual experience with me after. Yeah. And she's been connected to Calvin the whole time. And she shared that with me. And she's just a young girl in my mind. But just the way she said that you found your tribe. And so I call you all my mama bears, because that just sort of coined it. And I keep buying things that say mama bear. And it's just, that's just how I feel like we're all in it together. And I'm grateful for every single one of you. Thanks, Vicki. I appreciate it. Barb. Sorry, I hit the wrong button there. I agree with everyone. Like just, I have gone and still go occasionally to the once a month suicide bereavement group here in town, but it's run by somebody who's never lost anyone to suicide. There is a co-facilitator who has, but not a child. And it's like, sometimes there's another, there's someone there who lost a spouse and sometimes someone who lost a sibling and sometimes someone else who lost a child, but it's just, it's not the same. It's, it is, it's just being with the moms and the parents who have lost a child is so important. Like I can, I feel safe. I look forward to this every week. It's like, it's on my schedule at work, so I can't miss it because it's somewhere I can say anything. I can say things to you guys. I don't have to worry about somebody thinking I'm nuts. Other moms get it. Like some of the other, some of the other moms I've reached out to just, it's the comfort of being with those other moms and being able to laugh without worrying that somebody's going to judge you that you're not sad enough still, or being able to cry and not worrying that somebody's judging you because why are you still crying? It, everything's okay because there is no normal in this. And This has been, this group has been a lifesaver. Thank you, ma'am. I appreciate you sharing all of that. I don't know. Marcy, you can go. I was going to say, uh, I think I found your podcast, Melissa. Time is kind of crazy, so it's hard to remember, but I would guess maybe towards the end of the first summer that Kara passed. And I remember just sitting by my lake, just like listening to your podcast over and over for days at a time, weeks at a time. And so that was obviously super helpful because it was mothers. Where my husband and I live, we don't have a local support group. The nearest one is an hour away, which we started probably going to maybe two to three months in pretty quickly. And in the beginning, I have to say it was helpful, just maybe in the sense of I was like, okay, everybody here gets it. But again, there were very few mothers. I can actually only think of one at the moment. Some were husbands, siblings, parents. So it's not, it wasn't the same connection. And then it, 
again, it was helpful in the beginning, but I haven't gone for maybe five or six months now, maybe longer. It's just a lot of the same, like you call it a forward thinking group that we are. And it's just a lot of the same people still stuck back where they first were. And it just kind of didn't become maybe healthy for me. No one's sharing what they're doing, what they're implementing to to heal and to get up and move. So I really feel like this group, aside from meeting with Tim Braun on the phone, this group is, I have a great therapist that I've known for 20 years and I do see him maybe once a month, but this group is really is super important for all of us. And I'm just so, so thankful to find you and for all the work you've done and to meet all of you wonderful ladies. Again, unfortunately, we've all met because we really didn't want to meet this way, but I'm thankful for everybody here. Me too. I'll just keep saying it. Me too. Betty. I'll keep it quick because I know we're probably getting past your time. That's okay. I've already decided that if people are listening in one shot, that's great. And if they want to listen in two, that's fine too, right? (laughs) I just wanted to add, yeah, everything that everyone says here is, yeah, speak the same words. This has been a lifeline for me. I remember my kids worrying about me because I would not do things because Monday was support group night and they were worried I was stuck in my grief. Little do they know how much I gained from this. What I do want to also share is that we do share our pain, but we also are sharing our lives in general and other wonderful things that are going on in that. Just, I feel like it's more than a support group. We're friends. I feel like we're I don't know. We were somehow all here, not for reasons we want, but we are. And I just really feel everyone's connections so strongly. And oh, just my heart is so full with all of you. And I just, I look forward to our little messages every day of what's going on. And just that knowing that somebody needed a phone call from somebody and somebody was there or somebody experienced a a spiritual thing that day or whatever it was like it's just so wonderful and I just thank all of you so so much for it and allowing me to be part of it such a you're such a gift everybody's such a gift so thank you for being a part of it and thank you for sharing that and Crystal that brings us to you yeah I'm Crystal and I think one thing that nobody's mentioned why the support group is so very important is because we all know when you lose a child, you lose friends and people, but when you lose a child by suicide, you lose even more friends and people in your life, some of them by choice. And it still does not make it easier to boot them out of your life for your sanity. And then some of them are not by choice. So on top of dealing with the loss, you're dealing with more loss of your circle getting smaller. I've looked at that as a positive thing as time has gone on, but that's why you need a group like this. And as I'm listening to all of you ladies talk about going to these support groups, it's nice that you have the local suicide support group. 
I don't think there's one anywhere near me. There are support groups for grievers and that's just not good enough, but it is very different when you lose somebody to suicide. You need to be surrounded by peers. And I almost wonder those groups you're going to that are for suicide loss, why the moms aren't there is because moms need to connect with moms. That's what makes this support group so very special, so very unique is it's just different when you're a mom, you carry that child for nine months. They know what your heartbeat sounded like from the inside. I always love that little quote, but there's always a connection with your kids. That's why this group is so very special to me. Echoing everything all of these other ladies have said, you don't feel crazy, but it feels safe and it feels a void or that we all kind of have. It is somewhat comforting to know there are other broken like ours that can surround us with love and connect with us on that level. So thanks so much, Crystal. I appreciate it. And I know that we went long and I know that anybody listening to this, if you've made it all the way through in one sitting, then you're a grieving mom. If you or you're supporting a grieving mom or a grieving mom, but I hope that even if it's taken you a couple of sittings to get through this, you've gotten through all of it because I, there was nothing scripted about this. We talked briefly before we started recording and you guys gave so many gems. I'm going to have really long show notes to include. So for anybody that's listening, I will include, I wrote down everything that I feel like people mentioned, including Disney Pixar's Inside Out, <laughs> Crystal. I'm like, that movie gets referenced a lot because we think about our sadness and our joy and our anger and our fear and even our disgust. And so along with all the modalities, I'm glad you finally mentioned Tim Braun because I was going to tell you, Marcy, that I was going to put Tim Braun in the show notes, even though you didn't mention him by name initially, but I'll put him a link to his book in there and then people can find him from there if they want. All the things that have been mentioned, I'll put in the show notes. And I'm just so glad that we not only have shared this space and time tonight, but I couldn't be more honored to share time and space with you guys on some level daily because of all the messages, but weekly in these groups. And I'm just so thankful. And I am going to read one last poem from Donna Ashworth's. I, apparently I'm joined her publicity team because her books, but she just writes amazing stuff that applies so much to the world that we're in. So I'm going to end this episode by reading this and thanking each and every one of you so very much for being willing to be here and share from your heart and from your loss and a piece of your child with us. It means more than I could ever say. This poem is called, If You Must. Cry if you must, but laugh more, because laughter was our thing. Weep if you must, but sing more, because such joy music brings. Sleep if you must, but walk more, because in those woods I roam. Grieve if you must, but live more, because you are not alone. And that's the message I want to leave everybody with is that this grief is so very lonely. 
but you don't have to be alone. Thanks to everyone, and we will all talk soon, ladies. Grievers, it is my hope that from today you will take that which serves you and simply leave the rest. I would love to connect with you, and the best way to do that is to start out on my website, where the first thing you'll find is a video recorded message from me. And then from there, you can find everything I offer, the online Zoom support groups, the books I've written, ways to connect for the podcast, and an entire resource library assembled to help all suicide loss grievers find the resources that they need to help them along their healing journey. Please go to theleftoverpieces.com. From there, I hope that we can connect and I hope that you too can discover that we truly are better together. If anything that you've heard in today's episode resonates with you, I would ask that you please subscribe to get notified every week of my new episodes. And then take a moment to rate and review me on Apple Podcasts so that more grievers like us can find this podcast and this community. It is from my own experience of finding myself sitting amid the leftover pieces of my own shattered heart that I can tell you that while it seems impossible in the early days, it is possible to put those pieces back together and be okay again. And every week, we'll be right here providing more comfort, hope, and community. So until next week, I'll sign off today with some words from one of my Alex's favorites, Peter Pan. Never say goodbye, because goodbye means going away, and going away means forgetting. Grievers, no one here is forgetting. Talk soon. Talk soon.